So that is good, isn't it? Uh, thanks so much for those of you who were able to come and were involved with our music and magic on Friday night. That went very well at the Seaford Little Theatre. It was a lot of fun and um, just great to watch Sarah embarrass her dad. Or, or was it the other way around? No, perhaps the other way around, wasn't it? Um, well, this morning, I'm, it's, it's an unusual and perhaps uh, noticeable moment for us as a church. And so I'm going to talk a little bit into the sermon series that we're doing. We're in a teaching series called The Helper, where we're talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about him and what he does and how he empowers us. But uh, I'm, I'm really wanting to communicate some key pieces of information to us as a church. So this is kind of half sermon, half extended notice slot, because I want everybody to be on board and on the same page as us. And there's a few challenges that are coming our way that I wanted to make us all aware of and hopefully encourage you to buy in to. I'll explain those things as we go, but we're at an important juncture in the life of the church, um, and I believe we're in quite a defining moment. Over the next few weeks, we're going to get to make some decisions as a community that will determine the kind of path or future that we're going down together as a church. Uh, so many of us, I think we're at a crossroads. And hopefully most people, it won't be a mystery what I'm alluding to, um, but I'm going to hopefully make it clearer as we keep going and I'm going to take some time to explain. Um, I'd love to read from the Bible though. So if you have a Bible, we're going to read from the book of Acts. And uh, I'm just going to read the final words of Jesus before he went to be with his father. We'll talk a little bit about that and see what that has to say to us this morning. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is split into two big chunks, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word testament essentially means promise. So we've got the old promise and the new promise. The old promise is largely concerning uh, one particular family that God chose among all the peoples on the earth, uh, the family that developed and grew into what we now call the nation of Israel. And it's about the promise that God made to them and that through them he was going to not only bless them but bless the entire world. And then the new promise is how God has blessed the world through the coming of Jesus and the difference that that makes to our lives. Uh, in the words that we're going to read, Jesus has not long ago, recently, he was crucified on Good Friday and resurrected on Easter Sunday. That Jesus came to offer a message of hope to the world, to everyone living outside of the purposes and promises of God, everybody who doesn't know God as their father. Jesus came to offer a message of forgiveness, a message of hope, so that Anybody and everybody can know God for themselves. And then as he gathered his, his group together before he left, he delivered this kind of speech and this unusual thing happened, and then he went to be with his father. So we're going to read that together. So I'm reading in the book of Acts, chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 4 to 14. And while staying with them, he, that's Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he'd said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand looking into heaven? Which is a harsh question, I think, isn't it? Like, uh, because this doesn't happen every day. They're like, why are you staring into heaven? Anyway, that's how I read it. <laughs> this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his siblings. So this is an unusual moment, and it's a moment where a lot of Christians don't really know what to do. Like, so I get the kind of death and the resurrection, but the floaty bit? <laughs> That's unusual. What's that about? Um, and for us to understand that, I think we need to grasp that the Bible is a big story. We often talk about this. The Bible begins in a garden when God creates everything and he, he kind of plants this garden. And then he takes a couple, the first man and woman, and puts them in the garden and says, you can look after this. And this garden is a mountaintop garden. We know this because it says that from this mountain, uh, all these rivers were sourced. And so it's likely that it was on top of a hill. The first Human beings, however, disobeyed God, broke relationship with him, and were sent by God down out of the garden into the valley below to, to work the ground. And thorns and thistles and pain and discomfort were going to be their lot. And the rest of us, everyone else who's been born since, have inherited their poor decision. We uh, live as we do and experience life as we do because the first human couple decided and made a decision on your behalf. And now we live in this life away from the presence of God that they experienced in the garden. In fact, in the garden, it said of of Adam and God, it said that they walked together in the cool of the day. This wonderful picture of friendship between God and man. The reason for which we were made, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. So they descended the garden. And then here we have this moment where another man... Uh, ascends again, the top of hill ascends again into the presence of God. And now all those of us who live in the legacy of Jesus, all those of us who put our hope into Jesus, we now inherit his finished work. So outside of Jesus, our lot is life outside of the presence of God. But now, as believers in Jesus, our lot is that we can know the presence of God. And Jesus says, hang around and wait, guys, because the presence of God is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming, and he's going to give you power and he's going to enable you to do everything that I've commissioned you and given you to do which if you were among the first disciples hearing those words you would have thought oh good because the mission you've just given us is quite a big one Jesus essentially says to them I want you to go and make disciples out of everyone you know so Jerusalem those who live near to you your friends Samaria the people you don't really like your enemies and the ends of the earth go 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 And that's a big mission. That's a tall order that the church has been trying to fulfill ever since then. And and Jesus says, but in order to fulfill this mission, wait, because you need power. (laughs) You can't do this on your own. Now, there's lots of things in life that we would look at and think, I need help with that. I need power. Um, And this would have been one of them for them. Uh, We need help. We need power to be the kind of parents that we want to be. We need help or power to overcome the kind of the temptations that sometimes ruin our lives, the difficulties that we face. We need power. We need power. We need to be plugged into a power source. We need regular help. And as a church, for everything that we want to do, for everything that God has called us to do, we need help. We need power. We cannot do it by ourselves. We know this. Now, I don't know where you turn to for your confidence or for your help. 
When I was a teenager, I discovered a source of confidence that stayed with me to this day. Uh, as a teenage boy, I didn't understand girls and would often get very nervous around girls and talking to girls. And, and now I think I, I can talk to girls. I'm married to one, um, but I still don't really understand them. But as a teenage boy, I discovered that if I was feeling slightly nervous about this, I could get confidence from a packet of Skittles because Skittles have just the right E numbers in them to give you the pickup you need to feel confident and strong. And so as a teenager, I turned to Skittles to give me confidence. But as adults, we're more sophisticated than that. We turn to other things to give us the confidence that we need. Some of them destructive, others, others of them less so. Uh, I watched a TED talk recently and uh, they were... They were presenting some scientific findings about how, what you can do to get confidence. Okay? So you might want to write this one down. This is a good tip. They said that um, studies have shown that, it, that your body posture has a lot to say about the hormonal balance and the confidence or lack of that you've experienced. So they said if you, if you stand or sit in a kind of open body posture with your arms out like this, rather like a scarecrow, um, so you kind of just sit with your arms on the chair listening to me, you're going to grow in confidence, they said. They, they reckon if you did that for 15 minutes or so, some kind of hormonal shift takes place and you will increase in your confidence. And so their advice was before you go for a job interview, pop into the toilet cubicle and stand there like this for 15 minutes and you'll feel confident and you'll get the job. Now that's, we, that's called a power stance, isn't it? My friend who's a teacher was telling me that's part of the advice they give to teachers to help them be powerful in the classroom. A power stance. Maybe that will help. But for the kind of task that Jesus gives his disciples, he's not, confidence isn't enough to cut it. They're going to need more than confidence. They know that. They get that. They're going to need power. They're going to need outside help. And for everything that God has called us to do, we need more than just a kind of a good rallying talk, a pep talk, a, you can do it, let's go for it. Now, we're here for nothing less than to see the transformation of Seaford, to see people in this town come to know and love and live in relationship with the God of the universe, the God who loves them and died for them and gave himself for them. That's what we're here for. We can't do that by ourselves. So this, this moment in the book of Acts is a defining moment in the history of God's people. Uh, we live in the wake of what happened next, because what happened next was the Spirit was poured out and he gave the first disciples the power they needed to get on with the task that they'd been given. Uh, we're running a group this term called Empower to spend more time looking at how we live an empowered life. So I'm actually not going to say too much more about that, other than to say just as that was a defining moment for them, uh, I think that we're also in a defining moment for us as a church and often defining moments or game-changing moments in history or sport or, or battles uh, hinge on some decisions by a few people that end up affecting a lot of people that come after that. And often you see in the Bible as well, what, what's going on is that when God moves, people then need to move as well. That God doesn't act independently of people. Jesus told his followers, go and pray and wait, and wait for God to act. And then God acted and they acted. And this partnership that God is looking for across the earth, we see modelled in the book of Acts as the church is built, that there is a, a moment where God's activity and our activity align and things, anything is possible. And this is the narrative throughout the Bible. So when God promised Abraham, he made these audacious promises to him. And Abraham believed God. He acted. He did his part. Well, you see it when Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt and reached the Red Sea. He thought, well, God needs to do his bit. 
And God did his bit. He parted the sea and then Moses and his people acted. They obeyed. They walked through the sea. Or you see it in the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah uh, is living in a land that isn't the land of his countrymen, the land that he's heard so much about, and he hears of the desolation that his people and his country is in, and he mourns and he prays and he seeks God, and then the next day he goes and speaks to the king. He waits for God to act, and he acts. God acts, people act. You see it in the, in the Gospels where Peter says to Jesus when he's in a boat, he says, Jesus, if that's you walking on the water, just say the word and I'll come. So Jesus says the word and Peter comes. Peter acts. Peter gets out of the boat and walks and the power of God upholds him. And we see those two things coming together when God's activity is such and then people get on board with that and go with it. Anything is possible. Um, There's a man called David Yonggi Cho who up until recently led the world's largest church, a church that had a membership, recorded membership in 2008 of 820,000 people in it. It's quite a big church. And when asked how he did this, how he built a church of that size, he said, it's simple. I pray and then I obey. I pray and obey. God acts, we act. God acts, we act. God acts, we act. And that's the life of partnership with God. And that's the invitation that I believe is before us as a community. Is God acting? Is God stirring? And are we ready to get on board? So let me stop being cryptic and cut to the chase. Um, there's two big decisions that I think are facing us as a church in the next few weeks. Um, One is concerning a building, whether or not we want to buy a building, and the other is concerning our longer-term future and what on earth we're doing in this town and what what kind of church we're going to be. And before I flesh those details out a little bit more, let me just tell you about our history for those of you who don't know. Uh, eight years ago, I was with the, the leaders of the church at a prayer meeting. Um, is this gone off or is this on? It's still on. Okay, sorry. It's just, I'm just wrapped up in the story. I couldn't hear. Um, eight years ago, I was in a prayer meeting with the leaders of the church. And as a church, we'd just launched two meetings in Eastbourne. We'd gone from being a, a, a 10 o'clock meeting to being a 9 or 11 o'clock meeting. So this was just two months after that. And we're thinking, oh, phew, a chance to get away and pray and talk about how it's going. And I remember sitting down and, and Graham, who leads our team, said, so what do you think? Shall we go to Seaford and start a site there? Shall we be a multi-site church? And I remember that on the most part, the response was, we've just done a big thing. <laughs> we don't need to do another big thing. Let's just do this thing. But then we prayed and it soon became apparent that God was speaking. And some images were coming up as people were sharing what they felt God was saying. We talked about the developing of uh, power, electricity pylons from one town to the next and sharing resources and, and reaching a fresh town. And the image that stuck with me was we had this image that came through as we were praying about the lighting of beacons all across the south coast. That We had this church that was essentially like a beacon or a bonfire in Eastbourne and we believed and prayed and thought, can we start another one in Seaford before others emerge? Can we start another one in Seaford and light yet another beacon across the south coast? So in 2008, we prayed and we felt God say that. And then six years later, sorry, two years later, six years ago, two years later, we acted and we started the site here. Um, we started a site in Seaford, in a town that's 25,000 people, to reach this town with the good news of Jesus. We lit a beacon here. That was our, our aim, our ambition. 
And to do it, we borrowed fire, if you like, if the metaphor doesn't break down. We borrowed fire from Eastbourne to light something here. And in the early days of the church, the word borrow um, was basically how we got going because Eastbourne shared their preachers with us. Eastbourne shared their leaders with us. Eastbourne shared their musicians, shared their money with us. They gave to make this happen. The people in the church in Eastbourne knew that the reason they met and the reason they gathered was to reach people who weren't yet there. And you're sitting now in a, in a congregation, part of a site that exists because other people gave sacrificially to make this emerge, to make this happen. Four years ago then, um, Amy and I joined the story two years into the church or a year and a half in. And in that period of time, we felt God speak to us again about the kind of church that, or site that we're to be in Seaford. We felt God, in a, I was in a prayer meeting, someone I don't know just brought this word that stuck with me. He said that I see... He said these words, I say, I see a, a sleeping giant emerging from a rest. And he said, I see something of substance and size and significance emerging in an otherwise sleepy place. And in another setting we were praying, God spoke to us about us being like a reservoir, being a place where people get life and refreshment and encounter the presence of God, that we're to be this sleeping giant emerging from a rest, to be this reservoir that gives life to the people around us, that we are here in Seaford for the people of Seaford. And four years ago, as I was praying one afternoon, I was walking uh, across my familiar prayer route, and I was picturing the town in my mind, and I was asking God to give us a permanent home, to give us a, a building in the town, picturing the different places that we could potentially buy. And there was one church building in particular that I knew a church met in it but I just thought that's a good location it's a good sized building I said God can we have that building it was four years ago and I felt in my gut I felt like God said yes which you never know if it's just wishful thinking or bad pizza the night before but I felt in my gut God said yes so I came home from that little prayer walk and I said to, said to a couple of people I said I feel like God's going to give us this building in town and it might be 10 years but I feel like it's ours that was four years ago. And then two years ago, um, again, there was a particular week where I felt, it was about this time two years ago, I felt like I should just go and drive around that building and pray for it. And so I did. A week after that, we had a visiting couple come and join us as a leadership team, and they have quite a strong prophetic gift. And they said to me, they said, Jez, God has said yes to the prayers you've been praying. And I thought, great, I'll have that building then. I'll claim that building. I said, God's been saying yes to what you've been praying about. So with that kind of fresh stirring of faith, I got in touch with the minister of the building of the church. And I know a church meets there. But I got in touch with her to invite her out for a coffee with the intention of asking if we could buy her building, which is a, which is a big ask because I know that she uses it every Sunday. Um, as we sat down for coffee, though, I didn't even have to ask. She brought it up. And she said to me, she said, oh, look, here we go. It's appeared behind me. <laughs> It's not even on my PowerPoint slide. I don't know how it did that. Um, she said to me, um, she said, oh, I guess you want to meet because you want a building. Um, we've got three buildings in the town. So this is Crossway Methodist Church, uh, opposite the Duke of Wellington pub, which is a good reason to buy a church anyway. Opposite the Duke of Wellie pub. And they've got, the Methodists have three buildings in the town. She said to me, we can't sustain all three. We're going to sell one. She said, the building that we're selling isn't, isn't the building that you're going to want. I imagine you're going to want Clinton Centre. She said, but we're selling this one. Um, would you be interested? And I said, well, yeah, this is the one that I want, actually. And she said, oh, well, you know. She said, you're doing really well. I love Kings. I love what you're doing. You're reaching families. She said, 
we just want to help you get on and do that. We'll just give you the building. So I said, great, I'm up for that. But unfortunately, legalities not permitting, and she's not allowed to do that. But her heart was remarkable in her kingdom-minded approach, saying essentially they want to get on and do what they want to do, and they said they want to release this to help us. That was two years ago, and it was a moment in my life where I just felt like the curtains had been drawn back, and I saw God's fingerprints at work, and it was quite scary. I just thought, are you kidding? (laughs) I thought I was just making this whole thing up, and now someone's offering us a building. That's remarkable. So it was two years ago, a year ago then, Tom and Susie were with us, and they publicly um, kind of prophesied over us as a community. They said that God's calling us to be a new expression of church, a new wineskin to hold what God's doing. And they said to us, they kind of commissioned us to reach families and young people in Seaford. Not exclusively, but deliberately and intentionally to do what we can to reach them. It was a year ago. Four months ago, I went to a, a meeting about this building. Uh, we ha- informally had a friend of ours as a surveyor walk around it and give us a nod. We've since then hired a valuer to value the property and to see what it's like. And that leads us to today, really, where having met with the, the treasurers of the building, they're waiting for us to make an offer. And I'm standing there going, I'd love to make an offer, but how do I do that? Like, do I just pluck a finger out, pluck a figure out the sky and just hope for the best? And so I really wanted to talk to you about that this morning because this is the opportunity that's before us. And I've been, I feel like I've been running with this for some time. And I know my danger, is, my danger is that I can just run ahead of my enthusiasm. In case you haven't noticed, I'm quite an enthusiastic person. My enthusiasm can get ahead of me. And I, I suppose I need to just stop now and bring it to you and say, so come on, guys, are we up for this? Is this something that we want? And a number of us were at the prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago when we prayed in the premises and we walked around it and thought, this would be good. And now it's time for us to, to act if we want to. It seems like God is on the move. It seems like God has stirred something up. And now the question is, are we ready? Do we want this? Do we want a permanent home in the town? And is this our permanent home in the town? After six years of setting up a school, we're being offered to set up our own home as a family. After six years of all of our energy just going into existing, we're now being offered a, a position of permanence in the town, a, a building, an infrastructure, and a seat at the table of influence, I believe, in this town for good. Uh, and after six years of or most of our might going on our Sundays and making this happen, we're now being offered to expand and increase our capacity. So again, do we want it? Um, they're selling somewhere in the region of probably 500 to 600,000 pounds, which sounds like a lot of money, um, but there's houses in Seaford that go for more than that, probably on Furl Road. Uh, I don't live in one of them, <laughs> but I remember looking on Rightmove once upon a time, thinking, oh, that's a big house. And I find it remarkable, to be honest with you, little old us being offered big old this and see, do you want this? Um, we're a church community of uh, around 140 people on CCB, if you count everything that's ever walked into our school hall and <laughs> put them in our numbers. We're a community of around 100 people. Uh, there's 62 kind of bought-in members, uh, over 20 regular attenders, and over 30 kids in our church. Uh, we have an income, a monthly income, of around five grand. And it's with that money and with this people that we're asking the question, what do we need to do to buy this? Jesus began the whole Christian movement with, by choosing weak and foolish people. Uh, people of ill repute or not of much reputation. He chose 12 who became 120 who transformed the world. And now 
we find ourselves going, can we do this? Is God able to do great things out of smallness? Uh, I'm encouraged by the story of Eastbourne because the story of Eastbourne is fairly similar. They were a church of around 100 people when the King Centre, an old carpet warehouse, came on the market. And they clubbed together and they bought the building. Uh, there wasn't even, didn't even come with any chairs, so they had to buy a chair to sit on. And they were encouraged to not buy one chair but to buy two chairs because, again, they knew they exist for the people who don't yet come. They exist for, that's, I mean, the church is an organization like that. We exist for, the member, for our members who are yet to join us, the people who are yet to meet Jesus. So I find, I take encouragement from their story, and, and now maybe we're going to have a similar one. The building might come with chairs, but uh, we need to buy the bricks. Maybe not one brick, but maybe a handful of bricks, and to see if we can get this thing going. So, how do we do this? Um, what does it come down to? Well, on the one hand, God has spoken, so let's go for it. I'll just offer the money. On the other hand, God's entrusted us with resources and told us to be good stewards of our finances. And so I'm willing to step out and go for this, but I don't really feel like I should or could do that irresponsibly, in irrespective of, of what I think we're able to afford. Um, and so how do you respond? Well, it might be that your response is that you're able to start giving on a regular basis. I know that around 40% of our members aren't in a position or don't yet give in a regular, uh, regular monthly or weekly way. Or sometimes people give, but they're not gift-aiding their money, so we lose that money. You know, every year, gift-aid, if you're a UK taxpayer, gift-aid alone um, gives us around 10 grand as a church. And so every time you put cash in the offering, but you don't mark that it's from you and you're a UK taxpayer, we don't get the extra money that we could have got. So maybe just for you, the start is to think, I'm going to give regularly, and I'm going ta- to gift-aid my giving. Maybe it's that. Actually, maybe, maybe it means that you're, you're, are you in a position to not go on a holiday for a couple of years, but give the money instead? Maybe you're in a position to uh, sell a property or cash in a mortgage or give your kidneys or something, or just donate a child, um, sell one of them or something. The thing is, we began by borrowing fire from Eastbourne to start this, and now it's time for us to light and own a beacon of our own. Eastbourne cannot be and should not be expected to pay for us to keep going in Seaford. So it's really down to us. Um, For us to take out a mortgage, Eastbourne could probably help us with that because we're part of the same trust. But for the monthly repayments to go on, based on some of the the, uh, little explorations that we've had, we need to increase our monthly giving by two and a half grand a month just to afford the repayments. That's let alone doing everything that we might want to do with the building. So you'll see this is a big task. But as a site, we've in, uh, in the past six months, our monthly income has increased by a grand and a half. So it's not beyond us. But maybe you're in a position to increase how much you're able to give. Maybe you're in a position to double tithe for a season. Whoa! Uh, sorry, that was like a dramatic moment, wasn't it? Like double tithe, boom, boom, boom. I don't know. We're here in Seaford for Seaford. Um, as a family, as I said, we moved here four years ago, and now I'm more committed than ever to this town. Unless God calls us anywhere else, which I'm not expecting that he's going to, we're here for life to build this, to reach people in this town. And it's time perhaps for all of us to go again and to play our part in making a legacy of our own that other people will inherit. We get the opportunity to spend some money and time and energy building something of permanence, building something that's bigger than our own individual lives and our own individual families. 
In the book of Galatians, Paul exhorts the church and he says, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. And that's the same for us. But maybe I go too fast in talking about buildings and things. Maybe we need to back up. Maybe we need to decide what we want the building for. <laughs> we don't want to be like a dog chasing a fire truck. And they go, I've got it. Now what do we do? We need to make sure we've got a vision of what we're here to do. I believe that God is calling us in Seaford to be a, a church of spirit-empowered, Jesus-following good news people who love the broken and the hurting in this town, who provide friendship and community and hope to the hopeless and the lonely in this town, to be people who point people to Jesus and offer the message of hope that is the gospel. God's calling King's Church Seaford to be a a gospel outpost characterised by its youthfulness, its vibrancy and its joy. I said youthfulness, not youth. There's not not a, a desire to just become a young church but to be a youthful, vibrant, joyful church that proclaims and preaches the kingdom of God. We're to be a big-hearted and inclusive people, people who are generous in their welcome, generous in their invitations to invite people to Jesus, passionate in their preaching of the gospel, faithful in our preaching of the gospel. We want to be a church of people equipped to reach the unchurched people in this town. As you know, this town of 25,000 people, most of them don't know Jesus. Most of them, if they were to die today, would wake up in an eternity separated from God. That's not a burden that we carry, but it's a desire that we have to share the good news with the people in this town. 25,000 people in this town need Jesus. 25,000 people in this town need a church that points people to Jesus, needs a church that's committed to the town that it lives in, that loves the town that it's in, and loves them enough to sometimes give up on some of our selfish goals for the sake of them. We exist for the sake of those that aren't part of us, that aren't here yet. It requires us to give up on some of our selfish ambitions, our desires for new this and new that and holidays here and this and that for the sake of a bigger calling, a higher calling that we've got. There's nothing wrong with any of the good things that God gives us to enjoy. But this is a moment where God's saying, your life is about something much bigger than you realised. God help us to do that. I said that God's called us to be a church in this town and I believe that he has called us to be a church and not just to be a site of Eastbourne. Uh, We love Eastbourne, love our friends there. We exist because of them. Uh, But at times, many of us can testify that the multi-site dynamic of trying to be one church in two towns is actually a distraction to us in Seaford. Often we rely on resources out of Eastbourne. We go to Eastbourne for our meetings and our prayer meetings and our vision can so often come out of Eastbourne and our resources come out of Eastbourne. Our preachers come out of Eastbourne. Our leaders... And actually, it can be a distraction. God has planted us and placed us in Seaford to be here for Seaford. And I believe it's time for us to build the trunk that is our church community here. It's time for us to strengthen the core of who we are and to narrow our field of vision. To say we're here for this town, for New Haven and beyond. And we're here to develop a vision of our own, of what God's calling us to. So what's next for us, almost whether we get a building or not, I believe what's next for us is that we become a church family of our own, in our own right. A church family, however, that remains in close relationship and close partnership with Eastbourne. 
We don't believe in independence, and so I'm not using words like independence or even autonomy, because I think it can communicate independence. Independence is not a biblical value, I don't believe. But we do believe in being a family. We do believe in church and a self-governing church at that. Now, we were together this past week as elders, so this isn't just like Jez's idea and you're thinking, does Graham know? (laughs) We were there as elders. We were together last week as elders and praying a lot of this through. And actually, as an eldership team, we felt a rise of faith to pursue a vision that we, as a church, become a family of churches. Uh, A family of churches with one based in East or one based in Eastbourne with two sites, one based in Seaford, one based in Valencia, and over time, who knows, but a family of churches that are interdependently relating to one another, but separate and autonomous from one another. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of, um, of Genesis chapter 1, of all places, of all things, where it, God creates everything, and it says that he creates the, the great light and the lesser light for the separating of light from darkness, and he creates the sun and the moon. For the same job, separating light from darkness. And it struck me that actually the moon isn't a a source of light, really. It just reflects the light of the sun. And I believe that God is calling us to be a light in and of ourselves. It doesn't reflect someone else's light, but joins with them in the mission that God's called us both to. Being a church site with and of Eastbourne was, for starters, being a church in Seaford for Seaford is our main course and who knows, in time we'll get onto the deserts of planting other congregations and other churches of our own. Our identity, you see, is that we are, we're a family. Uh, we're a family made up of, of new babies and old babes. Uh, we're a ch- family made up of grandmas and granddads, of aunties and uncles, of mums and dads. We're a family made up of single parent families, of blended families. We're a family made up of English people and international people. We're a family made up of lots of different families that have all been knit together. That We as a community here are already functioning like a church and like a family. So I'm not suggesting that loads immediately needs to change apart from where we're setting our sights and where we're heading longer term. So we're a family, but we're also called to be part of a family. As I said, independence isn't a biblical value. We're called to be part of a family. I believe that family is Kings in Eastbourne. Beyond that, New Ground, the family of churches that we're a part of, and beyond that, New Frontiers, and beyond that, the worldwide body of Christ anyway. So we're part of a family. But we also believe that we are here for families. If the UK stats are right, then most of our teens won't be anywhere near God in a few years' time. And 70% of our babies in creche won't be anywhere near church by the time they reach 20. I mean, look at our little babies and how many babies God has blessed us with. If the UK stats are right, 70% of them won't be going on with God by the time they're in their 20s. So what do we do? Do we just hope for the best and hope that we do better than most? No, we're not going to settle for that. Instead, we are going to build a church here that is a family that's able to reach families. See, often churches buy a building with the intention of housing their meetings and then think, oh, how can we then use this building for the community? But imagine if we bought it, if we did it the other way around, that we got a premises that we kitted out to reach families and then found a way of making it serve our Sunday gatherings. We're about much more than Sunday gatherings. We're about much more than whether we buy Crossway or not. We're about something much bigger than that. Crossway, I believe, is just the first step along the journey. It's the next step for us of what we need to do. But imagine if we bought Crossway and we kitted it out. 
Imagine a purpose-designed building for the community, a place where families come and go during the day, a place where teens pop in after school, a place where community happens throughout the week, where life exists and thrives. Imagine a a spacious auditorium. Imagine walking into this spacious auditorium and, and seeing off to one end just this exciting and dynamic soft play with, for little children that goes over several floors. Imagine our kids having to get to their kids' work by going down slides and through tunnels because they think this is a place for families. Imagine at the other end of this building some, some rock climbing crampons, if you will, or some games consoles or something that says we don't just exist for babies, we're here for teens as well. And then imagine in the centre this, this hub of activity of of coffee and cake, and we do cake and coffee well, of desserts from morning till noon, just food and life happening around a long table of people just eating and chatting with plenty of space for kids to run and to be and to have fun in their different ages and their different ways. Imagine a table tennis table where we can have tournaments all day, every day, and our Sundays can largely be about announcing who's winning in our competitions that we're able to run. But imagine as well a place that has breakout rooms, there's several of them upstairs in the Crossway Centre, breakout rooms for workshops, homework clubs, kids who like that one, Um, places where people can connect with others, pray together, study the Bible, do arts and crafts, Um, a place where people feel accepted and known, a place where some life coaching can go on, some language learning, a place where people can encounter Jesus by being with the people of God, a place where church isn't just confined to Sundays. Uh, In fact, I have a vision of seeing a Sunday that isn't just a meeting, a Sunday where you're never late for church, which I know you'd appreciate. Imagine going to church and never being late because throughout the day there's activities going on and and meetings that take place and things that you can opt in and out of, worship experiences, workshops, um, coffee and cake and fellowship which is the Christian word for friendship, that takes place around the church. Imagine a place where people can go and and relax, or a place where they can go and search and ask some of life's, life's big questions. A building that says, this is here for the town. It's not just here for our Sunday meetings. Imagine a place where people can go and listen to others or ask some of the questions that they're holding in their hearts. A place where people can be accepted and known and cared for. And that's the kind of thing that we're building. It's the kind of thing that we're looking forward to. I believe this is a coming-of-age moment for us as a church. Um, It's all well and good me saying, I believe all this and I want this and I'm praying for this. But it's really down to us. Do we want this? What are we here for? Are we content to carry on as we are? Spending our energy on Sundays and just Sundays and the occasional groups? Are we content with staying as we are as a site of Eastbourne? These are questions that I'm putting to you. We can't do it by ourselves, but we know that with God we can. There's a story that I read recently about a, um, a father and his daughter. And the father came home from work one day and his daughter ran up to him and said, Dad, 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 can we make a fire in the garden, like a safe one? Can we make a fire? And he said, yeah. So they went into the garden and they built this fire like every good Cub Scout, making this pyramid and newspaper and bigger wood and littler wood. And then they lit the fire. And the little girl knew that in order to get this fire going, she needed to breathe on it because fire needs oxygen. But being just a little girl, she didn't have much puff in her lungs. And so her her breath was more like a wet raspberry. She was just trying to blow on this fire and nothing was happening. And while she was doing this, her dad came behind her and using his lungs breathed onto this fire. And it caught and took. And the little girl turned to her dad and said, I did it, dad. I did it. 
Well, the life of God in a community operates a little bit like that. We get to blow our raspberries. We get to do what we can to get church going, to reach people in this town. But we know that we can't do any of it without God's breath and God's presence and God's help. Now, I kind of feel like I've, I've spelt out a little bit and of what I feel is right for us. And now I suppose it is your turn to decide what you think. Are you ready? Uh, have, we, have I been running ahead for too long that I've brought nobody with me? That's my concern. That in my enthusiasm, people are going, really? I'm just very happy as we are. We're going to stay like this. It's your chance, it's our chance, to be part of legacy making in this town. Every time I go to Eastbourne, I sit on chairs that other people paid for. I encounter God in an auditorium that other people have done the hard work for me. And now you get the opportunity to do what they did 10 years ago, however long ago it was. You get the opportunity to do that. These kind of things don't come around often. It's the kind of stuff that as churches were made for and we want to rise toward. We want to get a stake in this town and the future of the church in this town and seeing lives changed. So how much should we offer to buy? Do we offer it at all? These are things to think about. To help make this decision, I suppose, um, and given that Time is, feels like it's quite short because the guys at Crossway are waiting for us to make an offer and I can't just pluck a figure out the sky without knowing if we're in this. I'm going to, over the next week, be writing a letter to everybody in the church, um, our members and our regular attenders, because, you know, I'm shameless like that, and our visitors and any pets that are visited, but we'll write a letter to them. And I'm going to just spell out for you what I think God's calling us to and I'm going to ask you to pledge whether or not you're able to give and how much you're able to give towards this. Ordinarily, we'd do something like this anonymously. Uh, and there'll be times for that. But I feel like this is such a big decision, we can't go into it blind. We need to have some idea of what we're able to do. Whether you're able to pledge to give for the first time and how much, or increase your monthly giving, or whether you're able to make a one-off donation of something to help get this thing going. That's what we're talking about. That's what this is coming down to, I suppose. If we can't raise the funds, maybe we'll go for it anyway because maybe we'll feel like, no, God has said, let's just go for it and he'll provide the money somehow. We've had some amazing stories that have come out of Eastbourne in the last few weeks of just money appearing out of nowhere. Like, not literally nowhere. It's actually come from somewhere. But there have been people who've joined the church and, been, and just been given some kind of uh, inheritance to give. Or there's people who've decided to sell properties in Eastbourne and I'm thinking, that's amazing. Maybe if we step out, um, Ross will sell his villas that he's got around the world or... Or, or, or John will liquidate his million-pound gardening business and just buy it outright for us. Who knows? But do you know what? That's the exciting thing. As I look across us as an, order, as an auditorium, as a community, there's no one that I'm looking at going, I know that he's got the money, and if I just tug the right heartstrings, he'll give me the money. We're not into that. We're into trusting God. Um, frankly, we're a church full of, well, full of, but with a lot of young families, and young families just don't have any cash. <laughs> you can ask them. But God is able to provide for us if we step out. A long time ago, I read a a commentary about the book of Acts. And they made the point, the writer, you said that what caused the church to grow and kick on wasn't the brilliance of the leaders, which is a relief. is isn't the strategy of the leaders. It was just the power of God inspiring and melting hearts. It was the power and, and grace of God causing the church to be knit together to go for something together. And that gives me confidence. Because if, God, if that's how God got the whole thing going in the first place, then that's how he's going to carry on doing it as well. 
I'm way over my time. I warned you that I was going to talk for a long time, but I'm done now. I'm going to pray. We're going to get the band up. We're going to sing a couple of songs of response. We're going to ask God to just speak to us. You can come up now. It's all right. (laughs) We're going to ask God to speak to us. And hopefully you feel like I've caught you up a little bit. I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions. I hope there is. Um, Some people will say, I object, Your Honour. And that's fine. Let's talk about it. Some people will say, I'm really with you. I've been waiting for this. And there'll be everything in between, I suppose. What we need to know is whether or not we're in this together and to what extent. Let's pray. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to you, Father. It's all yours. Everything we have is a gift from you anyway. You just ask us to steward the resources, the gifts you've given us. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us clearly at this important juncture for us as a church. What do we do, Dad? You're the, you're the kind of God who loves to lead his people, loves to lead us intimately. You love to speak. You love to provide. You love to see a people who are dependent upon you. And I pray, Father, that you would lead us at this time. I ask God that you'd give us wisdom. You'd help us to not run ahead. You'd help us not to be foolish in our decision-making. And I ask that you would speak clearly to each one of us about what's next for us as a church. We recognize, Father, that we can do nothing without you. We need you. Please fill us with your spirit. Please empower us again. In fact, guys, why don't we stand and let's just ask God to empower us afresh.